Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. Breeders Week, day two. First guest of day two is a man who's living in the diaspora. Uh, Canadian native, now down and doing great work as the chief executive of the Riverina Paceway. Greg Gangle, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is this is pretty exciting because we get to learn what we want to do throughout the course of the week. We're going to have a European guest. We're going to have Timmy Tietrich, I'm told. Probably shouldn't have revealed that just in case it's not locked. I think it's locked in for Friday, which is going to be very exciting. But learning a little bit about breeding from around the world. And we know you being a Canadian native, the North American influence on Australasian racing has just been extraordinary over the years, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been unbelievable. Um, you know, you look at the likes of what Lazarus did in North America, um, you know, Sheraton on the, on the mayor's side. And uh, you look at any type of program, whether it be at Yonkers or the Meadowlands or, or Mohawk Park, uh, you know, a vast majority of the horses are, are born and raised down under. So I think it's just a testament to the product and how well it, it does not only down under, but uh, globally, Jason. Now you've got um, you've got a personal passion. You're a, which often happens in racing and particularly harness racing. You're a Renaissance man, a polymath, somebody who's been involved in a variety of roles. You're the chief executive now at Riverina Paceway. You've been in media comms. You've been a presenter. You've been a racing manager. But you've got this peculiar passion for breeding. And like many things in racing, Greg, once you get a a, a passion for it, and, and I would say breeding is right at the top level of the tree here. Once you get a passion for breeding, it gets into your blood, and that's the end of the story. Yeah, it's almost addictive, Jason. You're, you're 100% right. Uh, you know, my dad growing up, uh, he was a hobby trainer and always had a couple mares. And I didn't really take, initially, I didn't really take uh, to training too much, but it was, it was the breeding side of things that really caught my eye initially. And, yeah, you know what, years later, still following the breed very closely. I mean, it's changed uh, in so many different ways. Uh, you know, our, our speed's getting uh, stronger and stronger and faster and faster. Um, but, yeah, that was the one thing that probably really sunk me into really enjoying the game of racing was the breeding side. And then it, it just kind of explored from there, as you mentioned, into a couple different roles uh, in the last uh, in the last decade. So what, what was your pathway? So I'm thinking about a... 15, 16-year-old kid now who's got a family involvement in harness racing or just loves the game. For whatever reason, they love the game. And they, they too, find themselves looking up stallions, looking up brood mares and, and wondering what it would be like to breed a horse. What is the What was your particular pathway from being excited about that area of the industry to really getting involved in it properly? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I always say that, you know, you, you always want to have skin in the game. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's my personal take. And, you know, I, I follow the breed quite closely. And it, it all started just a few years ago where I, I, I came across a mare that I thought was um, was almost like a home run mare. And um, it was I, I bought her, um, bred her to better's delight back home. 
and uh, that first full sold in the U.S. Um, this roughly this time last year uh, for just under fifty thousand American. So that for me was um, I don't want to say a game changer, but that really uh, said okay, let, let's keep going and doing and and do this because I, it, it's so rewarding to have success right off the get go. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed from there where we have a couple mayors uh, in, in North America at, at this point in time. So, but to answer your question, it was all about having skin in the game and, and just being a part of the journey. Um, I, I think that's the most rewarding part is, you know, you, you select that mayor, you select that, that, that stallion, and, and hopefully you can produce a great product that's in demand. Um, and you're always trying to improve your breed and things like that. But, uh, you know, you're looking for that magical cross and, and, and at the end of the day, trying to um, provide a product that um, is in demand with what people want. Now, I'm not, um, so, I, I, I just don't want to bury the lady right here because you've said the home run mare, and I want to know, and I think everybody who's getting into breeding wants to know, what does that look like, Greg? Yeah, it, it can look like a lot of different things. Um, you know, that, that home run mare to me, and, and everybody has their own little take on breeding of, you know, what works and what doesn't, what suits them and what, what you know, what doesn't. Um, for me, it's consistency in the maternal line. Um, you, you're seeing a lot, of, a lot of mares that may not have raced or raced on the track, but were just average race horses that have gone on to be great brood mares. Um, that's the case in North America. That's the case down here. But you got to find something that, uh, in your opinion, is something that you could cross that mare with that is going to produce. Uh, you, you see what Art Major has done down here as a broodmare sire, uh, and, and the Arts Place line is, is phenomenal. Um, so you want to find those type of type of horses. But for me particularly, I need to see a lot of consistency in that maternal line. That That's a type of home run, home run mare for me. I don't really, it's not my cup of tea just to see a mare that, you know, she won 300,000, but she's got n- nothing to back it up in terms of uh, um, a maternal line. So for me, it's the consistency on the page. I'll tell you one thing that I've uh, I've had great admiration for. Um, Bruce and Craig Cameron did it here with Larrakia later, uh, Lady and uh, and Peter Gleason, And um, you've seen Mark Lee and Jason Lee and Patty Lee and the, the entire league clan in Terrain and Victoria do this. Being um, ambitious enough to go out there, and I think this is what you're talking about, is to get that mare that's going to be a foundation mare for the rest of your your breeding, basically. So if you get one with that great maternal line, you've got the hope that it's going to continue or the expectation that really instead of going out and having to buy a bunch of new, uh, new mares every year, which, look, if you want to do that, some people get addicted to the idea of going out there and, and purchasing new brood mares, but... If you want to have one big investment, have it at the start, I reckon, Greg, because you might be able to get something that creates a, a dynasty and a lineage that you can rely upon all the way back to that first one that you got hold of. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, at the present time, Jason, I um, I have one broodmare uh, in Australia, and um, it comes from the uh, – well, she's a sister to Tango and with Sierra, who you will know quite well yeah. with, the, um, with that type of family down in Victoria. So – um, you talk about that foundation type of mare where uh, her mother, Sierra Tango, I think is just that, where she's had, I don't I think three foals and, and the first three of them have over 100,000 made in, in group one winners. So, um, you know, hopefully the trend will continue. We'll find out soon enough. But, uh, you know, when you find that, that winning branch off that maternal line, you just want to grab a, grab a hold of that and be a part of that because if you don't, 
um, you know, there's going to be another breeding establishment that's going to be right behind you that wants to grab it as well. So that's what makes the game so great. It's a competitiveness and, and finding those niche type of mares that hopefully can keep that, uh, that maternal branch keep going. Is it a real thing? I'm assuming it is, Greg, that because that entire family, I know that family really well, and Sierra Tango has pretty much exclusively had fillies, and they've all been very, very talented. Is there a, a thing in breeding where – the fillies all go well and the colts and geldings don't go as well. Uh, and personally for you, when you're looking at keeping and selling, are you always looking at wanting to sell as a breeder or are you looking and saying, okay, if I get a filly from this one, if I get a colt and gelding, you've got different attitudes? Yeah, no, I, I me personally, I, I, I am buying to, to sell at the sales. I, I bought this mare to sell at the sales. Um, and for me, I'm buying to sell commercially. Um, I don't really want to be the, the person that kind of picks and chooses when they sell every year because, or if they keep them or sell them, because um, I, I just want to be exclusive um, where people know that if, if they're buying off something that I, that I've raised, that it, it, it's, it's on the market. Um, and that's the way it really is in North America. So I kind of want to keep that trend down here. Um, and you are hundred percent right. Uh, you know, Sierra Tango, she's produced pretty much nothing but Phillies. I don't even think she's had a cold yet um, from about five or six folds. Um, you know, I don't really read too much into that because if it, if it does throw a colt where, um, you know, it remains to be seen what will happen. But you do see a lot of maternal lines where the fillies have far outproduced the colts uh, for whatever reason. Um, so I think some people read into that. Some people don't. I think it really just depends who you ask. Have you been um, uh, a little bit surprised or staggered by the move? I know we've had a lot of North American stallions and they've dominated the industry for a long time down under here. But there's been a huge movement toward that style of racing. We see it at Tabcorp Park, Menangle all the time, just up the road from you. And people are breeding for speed more and more and more. Is this something that was totally predictable and something that you focus on as well? And that I guess you've enjoyed watching the transition of that North American style of racing um, have a greater influence down under? Or has, has it been a bit of a shock? No, no, I, th- I think the writing was on the wall. Um, you know, the, the North American breed is, 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 is sheer speed. There's no two ways about it. And, and that's what's really happened uh, uh, down here in the, last, in the last decade, ever since you're really starting to see the betters delights on the dam side and the art majors and the arts place, you know, crossing with the beaches and the American ideals and things like that. Because essentially, as time goes on, you're getting more and more of that North American pedigree and uh, on, on the pages down here. So, um, the only difference is, Jace, that I will say is, the, is what really I know is the big difference is, is the second quarters, whether it be at Melton or Menangle, where, um, you know, you're seeing that 30, 31 second breather, where back home you're seeing, you know, 28, 29. Um, so I think that's going to change. I think the style is, is, is of racing is even changing now, even more North American, where you're not seeing as many horses uh, you know, sit in the depth and, and have to kind of have their horses a little bit better positioned because um, it's a speed-oriented game. I think you're starting to see a lot of races now over the shorter distance versus the long distance because, um, you know, speed is the name of the game. It's absolutely incredible the times that uh, that they're running. And that's only going to continue. Um, you know, records are meant to be broken. And, um, you know, that, that's just the lay of the land. Is that, is that, you know, we've got two different sides of the game here. So there's, there's trotting and there's pacing. But from the pacing side of things, is that the way we globalise the sport? I mean, everyone talks about these magical marks. Uh, 150 is what everyone wants to break, and we see it happen. Well, we have seen it for, you know, a few generations happen in North America, and now it's starting to happen down here. Is that the way we 
is that the way we move forward? That we, we're virtually cast into a situation where breeding, we're racing, everything has to be based on speed. Well, time only means something if you're in jail. Um, <laughs> I always look at it as as who you, as who you beat. I, I think that's the most important thing. Um, you know, if you win a if you win a race in 48 at Menangle, that that's a great feat. But if you beat King of Swing in 49, I think that's that's more important. Um, that that's just my take on it. But um, overall, you know, the punter, the breeder, everybody, the first thing that they look at on, on anything is is you know what's the mile rate, um, how fast did they go, uh, you know, the punter. Uh, is especially, you know, everything that you mentioned is is speed oriented, and it's going to continue to drop. And and you're looking at these North American sires, um, and they're fitting in beautifully. And it's even creating a big demand to see, you know, the, the times that they're going because you know there there's a massive market for down under horses in North America. Um, you know, you see horses exported every day to Yonkers, the Meadowlands, and Mohawk for that very reason is because the down under product is getting better and better um, on the global scale. And it's no hidden secret anymore. Um, there's a lot of people in North America that base their, um, you know, base their business around importing down under horses because it, it's been a proven um, a, a positive result. So it, it's going to continue. Now, we've gone through the educational stuff. Let's get to a little bit of fun stuff. Who's your favorite horse of all time, Greg? And who's your favorite stallion? Ooh, that's a it's a tough question, Jace. I, I I'd have to go with Sun Beach somewhere um, as probably my favorite horse of all time. I um, back in Canada, I, I followed him quite closely when I was when I was working in the media at uh, Woodbine Mohawk Park, and we literally knew everything that horse did that day, other than what he had for breakfast. I mean, it, it, we were around that horse twenty four seven, and he was just. I mean, if there if there ever was a, a perfect horse, it was him. And uh, obviously, uh, it's really sad that he passed on um, before his time was really up. But uh, his, his remark is not only on the track, but also what he's done as a, as a stallion. Um, you know, it's going to be a line down here in North America that is going to be well sought after for decades to come. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing, you know, horses here, you know, Majida, Honolulu Bay, um, Bondi Lockdown. You know, the list goes on of just absolute superstars. And then obviously he's produced the likes of Captain Treacherous and Down by the Seaside in Huntsville, who are dominant sires down here. Um, so, you know, the likes of Tough Tilly and all them all hail from the beach line. So he's probably uh, my favorite stallion and probably my favorite horse, just because, um, you know, I, I was closely, um, you know, familiarized with him in North America, but also, um, you know, just, just the impact that he continues to have and will have for generations to come. And who's the, uh, out of those ones we've just mentioned, and right now, obviously, we're falling in love with Honolulu Bay. Is he... When you look at Honolulu Bay race, he's a big boy. Is he representative of what Sun Beach was like more than Bondi Lockdown? I mean, he's thrown a lot of different types. We know Better's Delight is a little bit similar. There's the the chunky, powerful, strong Better's Delights, and then there's the slightly bigger ones. Well, Sun Beach has got all sorts. Which one's most like him? Yeah. Yeah, Honolulu Bay. Um, just uh, Particularly the stride on him, just, yeah. just the gait. Um you know, Beach, he can kind of throw them in different shapes and sizes. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Bondi Lockdown looks vastly different than Honolulu Bay. Um, Honolulu Bay, to me, um, largely, I think, too, is is um, National Gallery, the dam, and coming from that yeah. Arts Place line. Uh, well, Bondi Lockdown as well. I think that of an Art Major mare. But um, Honolulu Bay, j- just the gate on him in the presence, reminds me a lot of Beach. Beach was a big strapping horse. 
but he had a he had a massive gait on him, and that's what Honolulu Bay has as well. He made the move down uh, here, and I, I think it was a, a long term. He was just looking for the, the the right role, I think, down under from memory, Greg. And now uh, you've taken on a, a really senior position. How's it all going at the moment? Yeah, it's going great, Jace. Uh, actually, today marks the uh, the one year in the job. There so um, really, really pleased with what we've been able to accomplish in the last 365 days. Um, and really kind of getting uh, accustomed to the, you know, the down under culture, um, you know, the way that race meetings are conducted, um, you know, the um, the overall prize money and, and everything like that, and kind of just the lay of the land of, of how the, um, the racing industry works. But it's been a phenomenal year. Um, I can't whinge about the weather. It's beautiful um, compared to where I'm from. So yeah, all systems go. Are you are you here? I'm assuming you are here for the really long term, and, and that I guess feeds back. It's going to be a bit of a theme of today's show. Um, there's going to be different, not in New South Wales, but there's going to be a Vic Bread Peel system, and I think there's going to be a greater. Uh, impetus or drive towards rewarding colonial stallions. When you look at it now, do you sort of look at that situation and say, I'll tell you what, if I'm breeding, I'm more than happy to go to um, a poster boy or whoever it might be? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Especially when uh, here in New South Wales with the New South Wales uh, breeder scheme um, of, of what John and Peter and his team at Harness Race New South Wales have done, I think it's I think it's a great incentive. I, I have a lot of respect for the domicile stallions. Um, I was at Northern Rivers uh, for their open house, um, or not their open house, but uh, uh, their parade on Sunday, and had a good look at Poster Boy. I mean, he's a gem, um, largely North American breeding. But even when you look at the likes of Tiger Terra, um, Tintin in America, um, I have a lot of respect. Um, for the down under colonial sires. And it's a bit of a shame, Jace, because they don't really get the recognition that perhaps they deserve because of the imported stallions. Um, it's a bit of a catch 22 where if they're not imported, then you're going to see, you know, those likes of, um, uh, you know, Tiger Terra get better quality mares and things like that. But um, it is what it is. But, um, you know, in, in a very short period of time, I, I think that you're going to see. Um, a lot of success from these domicile stallions for years to come. I just wish they, they got a little more attention than they deserve because there are great horses on the track. I think it's one of those situations, isn't it, Greg? And you would have seen this over the journey, particularly playing so many different roles in the game. It's just about breaking established mindsets, and it takes time, doesn't it, sometimes? It doesn't matter whether it's got to do with stallions or any other aspect of racing. Like down here we had, um, you know, we spoke about the evolution of, of the speed game here. Well, it wasn't that long ago that... Stand starts and long trip racing was the cornerstone of Australasian uh, pacing and trotting. It just takes time to change mindsets, doesn't it? 100% mindset is everything. It doesn't matter if you're in racing or, or some other sport or any or any business. Um, uh, you know, the, the way that you go about doing your business and your mindset is everything. And, and, and educating the breeder um, as well. I, I find that, um, you know, there, there's a lot of breeders out there that particularly – um, don't know how good of a horse really was, or especially with a North, North American stallion that might be coming down. So the education part is, is really, really important. And there's a lot of um, stallions down under that I think offer tremendous value, um, particularly some stallions that uh, were in North America that I watched a race, uh, you know, week in and week out that, that are down here now, true, true champions. Um, but, you know, changing the mindset of people to fully understand exactly, you know, where the product comes from and where it is, and where that stallion originated, who he beat, how fast he went, 
um, you know, it all plays well. And, and again, it comes back to that maternal line to, to provide that great product. Now, the final question before I let you go is an odd one for you, Greg. So being a Canadian, I want to know, I've asked you your favourite horse of all time, your favourite stallion. Who's your favourite Canadian of all time? There's only one right answer here, and I wish you all the best. <laughs> My favourite Canadian. Well, favourite Canadian I, of all time. massive hot. Yes. Best Canadian of all time, per- person, right? Human. Yes, yes. Oh, I got I got to go with my man Sidney Crosby. Um, he's a he's a famous hockey player. If anybody goes on YouTube, he scored the, scored the gold medal game to beat uh, Team USA in the Olympics in Vancouver. Um, yeah, that. Um, yeah, Sydney. A lot of people down here are probably wondering who's Sidney Crosby. Well, you got to go Google him. All right. Um, you, what, about, the, what about you? I probably the, didn't select the, the right the winner, did I? No, well, but the, but the producer here um, and the man looking after us, um, a great talent, Jordy Canales, gave a nod of the head. So you've got you've got some support in the studio. I just quickly, are you a comedy fan at all, Greg? I don't follow it closely, but. Um, yeah, it's not really something that I that I flick on, but I, I think that's the path you're going down, Jace. Is a, that right? As a passionate Canadian, Norm Macdonald is not only the greatest comedian, but arguably the greatest human who ever lived. Jesus apparently was a good guy, but Norm Macdonald, I think, has him covered. So Norm Macdonald is my uh, favourite Canadian of all time. And I reckon, Greg, you'd be in the top five, mate. I reckon you might be second. Very much appreciate you coming on and giving your insights <laughs> um, from – such a young man, but you've had such a, an extended experience in the industry. Two hemispheres. Can't wait to catch up soon, mate. Yeah, thanks, mate. I, I appreciate the time today, and good luck to all the breeders this breeding season. Uh, I really appreciate the program.